Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Jeffron, we're going to tackle the biggest topic in gaming right now, which is God of War Ragnarok. However, we need to talk about some spoiler stuff. But double, however, we're not going to go past, let's say, about five hours into the story, if yes. that. Um, there's a specific point that we're going to get to. Let's say uh, it's the Ironwood. So I'm going to tell, uh, tell you what's more than that, but you'll know what that part is. Um, so just flag in that. Hopefully I'll have put this in the headline. Hopefully I'll put this in the description <laughs> that we're not going to give stuff away. It's nothing past the first five hours, um, but we thought we'd dive into those things. And keep in mind that a, a straight run through through the game is about 18 hours if you mainline the story, 18 to 20 hours. Um, a full 100% is more like 40, 50 hours. I came in at about 27, 28 hours. So don't worry. There's a lot of stuff. We're going to be covering, like I said, the first five hours, um, but we're not going to be bringing any Anything in from after that point, but I want to pass it over to you because I had the pleasure of playing this for the review, and then you've been living on it for the last week or so. Oh man, it's been ridiculous. First <laughs> though, I want to say I'm really proud of you for not you. making a gimmick intro because when you said we're going to talk about like the biggest <laughs> thing in gaming, I really thought you were going to name drop Sonic Frontiers. I, can't, so. I need to wean myself off Sonic Frontiers. <laughs> if I do a quick little, I, the thing is, everyone, I don't even know how much people are sick of hearing about Sonic Frontiers. I'm sick of hearing about Sonic Frontiers <laughs> from my own head. I've now finished that game. Just a very quickly wrap this up. I've put about 22 hours into Sonic Frontiers. I've done both endings. I'm 100%ing all the islands. I'm sick, ill, and uh, horrible, but I'm getting through it. Um, that game is almost unacceptable. It's a complete, ridiculous, physics-broken mess, but I still enjoyed it. I've put a lot of time into it. <laughs> anyway, God of War Ragnarok. I love this. This is the wind-up, by the way. We're having a good time. Um, yeah, God of War Ragnarok, man. I've been living on this game so much, yes. to the point where I didn't even realize how much it had taken over my life until it got to Sunday of mm. this week. And I realized I was leaving the house for the first time uh, to not either come to work or to go for some grocery right, shops, right. Uh, food, stuff. That's mm -hmm. not a sentence. Food you know stuff, what I mean? Like stuff. all I was doing was waking up, coming to work, going home, play of God of War, waking up, going to work, going home, playing <laughs> God of War. And I loved every second of it. Uh -huh. Like this game has gotten into my brain in only the in, in the only way that the best games can. Like mm -hmm. already, even during this conversation, I'm thinking about what I'm going to be doing on God of War tonight. <laughs> Which side missions am I going to tackle? What um, armor upgrades am I aiming for? What's going to happen in the story next? Oh God. I am 36 hours into this experience. Sweet Jesus. And have not yet finished it. No. I don't know when the end is coming, so we're not going to do a full <laughs> spoiler review right now or anything, but I feel like I've seen enough of it to talk about like the general gameplay. You definitely have. Talk about, especially the early hours, which yes. we're definitely going to dive into in depth here because it'll be around where other people are, you know, side missions, all of that jazz. Mm -hmm. But to sum up, 
This is a spectacular game, and I love it even more than God of War 2018. I think this is the better game. We will do a full podcast on that because um, you need like a holistic view on the entirety of the story. And I think a lot of other people do too, but I think that comparison will be the thing that keeps coming up. And because one of the reasons that I called this one of the most riskiest sequels ever or whatever the hell I put in the thumbnail um, for the review is that I think it does drag its feet at the beginning. And it's not to make this an overall negative conversation. We'll be overall, we'll be very positive about it, but they're almost playing a specific hand across those first few hours um, to the point where they kind of want Atreus to become his own thing. And obviously you play as Atreus in that opening bit and um, switching over to him was something that in the moment I absolutely did not want to do. It's not that I don't love Atreus and genuinely care about him and hope he does well. (laughs) I just didn't want to play as him in that moment. I found that Kratos was infinitely more exciting and interesting. Um, And I just, I find Kratos to just literally be this living embodiment of doing better than various, you know, from various mentalities that were in the 2000s, whether that be goal-happy stuff or just admitting that men can feel in entertainment or whatever. And I like Kratos being a a driving force of that. And so for me, when it moved away from him and went to Atreus, that was the stuff that was jarring and I think that they do it intentionally so because it pays off later Um, but how do you find the Atreus stuff? Scott what I love about this game is that we both have generally the same opinions on the opening I also Mm. think it drags a little bit Mm -hmm. but the difference is when you do play as Atreus that's when it properly clicked for me because (laughs) until then the issue I had with the game was that the mechanics just didn't feel like a step up from the original game I think the game does do a quite uh, quite a bad job in onboarding players who have been through the first game, mm. even once, because the way it strips you of some abilities, I think just limits the moveset to the point where I was playing the opening, really enjoying it, still thinking it was a great game, mm-hmm. but not having the drive that I have now to live on it, to feed off it every hour right. that I possibly could. Like in those early hours, I was liking it, but I could have put it down to have a break to play Call of Duty. Mm-hmm. I could not do that now. And to me, it was because the moveset was so familiar like obviously they take away your runic abilities obviously they take away the armor that you had at the end of 2018 and they even addressed that in the story which I thought was quite funny yes um, yeah, he just sort of says did you use it he's like make more or yeah. something like that <laughs> yeah <laughs> give me more but the main issue I had was that in that opening stretch I'm using <gasps> the more or less the core base moves that I had to start 2018's game with, which made me feel like I've done this before. And for the most part, I was traveling realms that I already had visited with a new, like... Like a different corridor. Yeah, with different corridors. You know, you're going through Midgard, and Midgard's great, and now it's snowy, which looks awesome, but I've fought outside of Kratos' house Mm. before. And to me, the first six or seven hours felt more like an expansion than a true sequel. However, that feeling changed when you got to play as Atreus, because it's almost hilarious how the game served that up to me. I just (laughs) hit my apex Uh with the feeling of familiarity with Kratos' moveset. I I even said to my girlfriend, you know, I was like, this is great, but every combat encounter I'm in, it feels too familiar. Mm. It feels like I'm just repeating the same actions. And almost as quickly as I verbalized that, it hit me with the playable Atreus section in just the speed of his attacks, the agility of him, the the range attacks with the bow and arrow. Mm. To me, that shook it up in a way where suddenly it felt like the sequel. And from then on, for me, the game like never looks back and it's, <laughs> it's a full sequel from then on there. But I know that you don't necessarily agree with no, that. No, I don't. I don't. I, the thing is that I want to have these conversations in full when we do the full spoiler, convers- uh, full spoiler chat stuff because 
because I can right now I can speak from a point of view of where I where my head was at during those moments, which is to literally say that when the camera pans down and you realize that you're going to be playing as Atreus, I just almost put the controller down. I just sort of stood there, well, sat there for a little bit, just going, I don't want to do this at all. I don't want to push forward on the analog stick. I don't want to continue this. Can I just can I just go back in the room and talk to creators? I just don't want to do this at all. Um, <clears throat> and one of the, the wider problems that I feel a lot of people are kind of slowly getting on board with um, in terms of the conversation that's emerging out of the last few days is like like that idea that the traces sections are a bit more generic. They're a little bit more PlayStation Hero 101. That's definitely how I'm kind of, how I viewed it. I was like, okay, it's another bow and arrow guy. It's Ellie, it's Aloy, it's Jin. Like we've, we've done a lot of this before. Um, and like you were saying before we were recording that you wish Aloy played as well as Atreus does. Yeah. Which man. is true. Like, I mean, there's like, it's not that the combat isn't chunky as hell. Um, it was just that I, you know, I'm going into a, a God of War sequel. It's fascinating territory where we left off at the end of the original and where Kratos is, is fascinating. And I want to know what Eric Williams and Corey Barlog and the team like have in the future of that character. What, what do they think about the fact they're now in the middle of a prophecy and whatever. And so that like clash between Kratos and Atreus that building to that point where Atreus is telling Kratos to knock it off in terms of asking him to stop leading them down various pathways to figure out the prophecy. Um, it just felt like the most obvious thing to do would be have a conversation between the two of you and not just leave in the middle of the night. So I just didn't want to play as Atreus right. in that moment um, because the story was just so enthralling for everyone other than him. It's, 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 it's just, it is, I love this. I love that we've got completely different so much more of this going forward. I feel like this. I should apologize in advance because I'm really not there for this game in the first 15 hours. Um, I just want to get that out the way. I really didn't like that much of it for the first 15 hours. I think the immediacy, the very first impressions, chunky combat, whatever, but some of the puzzles kind of stand out as just being super gamey. We'll get back to that stuff. But story-wise, I was just like, okay, what what is the story? What is the driving force? Because Odin and, <clears throat> and Thor have dropped in and then disappeared. And the hours go by before you even hear of their names or anything. And I was like, what is this story? And then to deviate so much off and go, well, actually, you're now going to do three hours with Atreus um, was, like I said, the absolute polar opposite of what I wanted in that moment. It's so funny, man, because that was the exact thing that I wanted in that moment. <laughs> and it's not that I don't like Kratos. I think he's an excellent character. Mm. And I love him specifically in this game. But to me, especially at the beginning of the game, he does develop as the title goes on. But his arc almost feels kind of complete. He's doing right. the maturation in God of War 2018. He's got to a point where he is at peace with himself, essentially. I think he even says that at some yep. point. When they went to Jotunheim in the first game, he finally found some peace. He understands who he wants to be as a father. He wants to be more caring. He wants to look after his son. So for me, while I enjoy spending time with Kratos and still do right now... Mm -hmm. um. The, Atreus is the future. Atreus is the future. Atreus has, to me, the more compelling arc in this game. Right. And more engaging arc. So when we got to see the game from his point of view, that was the breath of fresh air that I needed. I didn't just need to retread Kratos trying to be mature because mm. I've kind of seen that. Oh, no. And I like it here. Um, but yeah, so Atreus as a character, I love here. And I'm saying that as someone who didn't necessarily vibe with him in the first game. I enjoyed him in the first game. Mm. But some of the things that they do with him, I didn't necessarily love. For instance, the part where he figures out, or he is told that he's a god. And then he goes on this kind of like rampage. Which is my favorite full part of, of that hubris. <laughs> That didn't click for me in the first game. Right. But his antagonism, if we can call it that, with Kratos in the early hours of this game, just felt way more natural because they're butting heads. 
but they're butting heads for a reason that I could understand. Like they are, they love each other, mm. but they just fundamentally want kind of like different things. Mm-hmm. Kratos wants to shelter this kid, wants to make sure he's safe, while Atreus is wanting to figure out who he is, wants to mm. get closer to his giant heritage. So while he was making dumb decisions, because obviously he's a teenager, he's going to make dumb decisions. I was frustrated at them as a character, but I wasn't frustrated at the writing, if right. that makes sense. I was with the writing, and I wanted to see that friction develop, so when they split up, it felt like a natural development of that friction. I that think for sense. me, it was just like, it felt like they were at it. They should have been able... Like, it was just that just that whole thing, like you said, it, it wasn't just about, you know, I don't want to just watch Kratos become more mature or whatever. It was the seeds that they had in the trailer where, like, um, Atreus is saying in the trailer, which is a scene that's in the, in the game too, he's like, stop thinking like a father and start thinking like a general. And Kratos spins around and he's like, no, I will never do that again because I've, I, that part of me is, like, walled off. And it's just, like, exploring, like, fatherhood from that character or exploring the idea of caring from that character. He's had a family before, um, but they were just plot devices, like all this stuff with Calliope and whatever else. Like... That was just such interesting furtive ground. Like you've got like and just the idea of this retired barbaric warrior who's like there's just so much ground there in balancing like even his role in the world, like his the, his proficiency, like his career that is now like done, and then how do you transition to being a father? And is there actually a role that can be like you know is there more reason for those like parts of him to still exist? Like that bit in the 2018 one when you go down into Helheim and you like crack open that beast and he realizes he's just become what he was before. Yeah, and it's just like but he has to do it to get to like get the greater good. I think that's what makes him such a fascinating complex character. So there was, for me, there was just so much ground there to to do. Um, and it's not that Kratos isn't receptive to like logic or reasoning or a conversation. It just no. felt like Atreus was just being so petulant and just so like, no, F you, like, knock it off. I'm going to go and do this. Leave me alone, father, like, whatever. And like, Kratos doesn't call him boy until he tries to like run away. Which is a great, which is a great scene. Because it? it's like, if eventually you're just like, because then he's being a boy, but he was treating him like a man or a whatever, like someone older. Um, and he wouldn't reciprocate that, which is why that, for me, that was just so annoying. There's so much maturity baked into their relationship across the first game that is almost betrayed at the start of this game to get back to where we were at the end of the 2018 one. I think Betrayed is strong. The Mm. way I view it is that we are where they were at the start of the last game, which is a sense of understanding. They understand who Mm. each other are at the end of the last game. And whilst Atreus is more mature in this game, I think it's important that he is still a teenager. He is still someone who who thinks he is right, who thinks he knows better than his parents. I mean, I don't know about you, but I didn't view my parents as people until I was about 25, if that makes (laughs) sense. You know, I just thought they were parents. I I couldn't even picture them as having their own um, experiences that were informing mine. I thought I knew everything. So right, I very right. much saw a lot of myself in Atreus that, yes, he might understand <clears throat> his father. He might love his father. Mm. He might have that bond now. But that doesn't mean that he necessarily thinks his father is always right. And I like that that was reflected in the character. And that's why, to me, it was more of a natural sense of drama because mm. it made more sense to me, my brain, and to me as well. I'm actually, it makes Kratos more interesting because I'm more interested in how he handles that difficult size side of fatherhood mm. uh, than anything in the first game. Because in the first game, yes, it is about a kind of like quote-unquote human relationship and how you parent someone. Mm. But the stakes are kind of so godly that it, it lost a bit of relatability for me. Like, of course, there's a clear answer to should my god son become <laughs> full of arrogance and hubris and go right, on a murder right. spree? The answer to that is no. In this game, I think it asks the more nuanced question of how much can you trust your child? When are you willing to let go and allow them to have their own life? When should you stop um, telling them who they should be and let them be 
who they want to be, or at least figure that out. And yeah. to me, that was just more, a little bit more nuanced, a little bit more relatable. No, it definitely why is. I enjoyed the drama a bit it more. It definitely is. And they, the whole game gets there. Like the conversation, the entire like conversation across the game is that whole thing. It's just that, that in that opening bit, I felt like Kratos was pretty receptive to anything. Uh, you know, and like even the bit when um, Atreus calls him an a-hole and walks out, Kratos doesn't bang the table or freak no. out or anything. He just sort of like walks out there with Mimir and they have like a, like, <laughs> like a single father with a grandfather kind of conversation with him. Um, and he ends up leaving and stuff anyway. But it's like, yeah, there's just the level of maturity that was there. I thought like just, it was a bit, it, it drags its feet across that opening stretch. Um, and uh, and that whole bit, again, like the first sort of five hours in the Ironwoods, um, or the Ironwood, um, it, that's, for me, that's the, the worst of it, quote unquote, because it's like, you're, it's not that I don't want to follow Atreus. It was just that at that point in the story, we hadn't really established many of the stakes other than just Thor and Odin, kind of, they're in the background, kind of, whatever. Um, but now we're going to spend three hours um, like picking flowers and doing <laughs> stuff in uh, the Ironwoods. And it's, it's great. I would like the idea of Atreus hanging out with Agrabota. Um, but not at that point in the story. So I'm just like, like yeah, I don't want to focus too much on the negative stuff, but I definitely did have a what the hell is this feeling for most of the opening. Yeah, I get it. You know, I've not I've not actually looked at any of the other critical appraisals of this game. Mm. I know it's Metacritic score, but I've not seen any responses online intentionally mm. because I don't want to do that until I finish the game. Yeah, but, you know, yeah. talking to you and talking to Adam Nicholas, uh, who works on What Culture WWE, mm-hmm. What Culture Wrestling. It's not just about WWE. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they branched out. They branched out. Um, you know the kind of common theme between all of our stories is it takes a little while yep. to get to the game that you want it to be. So I totally agree in that front. It does I'll have slightly pushback that it takes a while to do anything that I would view as purposeful, regardless of what I want them to do. Um, Cause I just think it takes a while to like, to even really let you know what sorry, it's driving forces. Sorry. Yeah. I phrased that poorly. What I meant was um, for it to feel like a sequel for it to I- feel like, what have you spent the past four years creating, if mm-hmm. that makes sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, where's the drive? What's going on? Mm-hmm. I do agree with that. I do agree that the pacing is a little off. Some things are a little bit lengthier than they should. However, I did. it did click with me sooner than it did you. It only took me, it took you about 15 hours, right? It took me about oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. seven. And right. even then, the previous seven hours was still like an eight out of 10 mm. game, which I can't really sniff at. And now it's like high nights. <laughs> um, so that's the only thing I would say about the opening necessarily is that if you're waiting for the game to un- unveil itself properly, like stick with it because mm. it will. Yes. And in the grand scheme of things, for me, it might, I know this might be different for you, but that seven hours compared to the 37-ish that I put in now, it feels so small. It yes. feels like a purposeful stepping stone to get where I was now. You probably wouldn't be able to get to where I was now if you just jumped straight into it, perhaps. Precisely, which is like, that's that's my overall thing, is that the same sentence sentiment on paper is exactly what I agree with. They play a specific hand in the opening, which pays off later. And um, for me, that payoff came further in. Specific scenes that happened that I was just like, okay, that's what you've been building to. That's great. I love that. Um, and we'll, we'll go from there. I still give the game four and a half stars and I still think there are parts of it, um, especially in the second half, that are just like, I think I refer to it as like medium advancingly important, like just various themes that are in there, various framings of characters, dialogue, etc. that I just think are unbelievably well done. Like there's a reason that Sonny Santa Monica, Corey Barlog, um, and obviously the rest of the team are some of the best people in the industry, some of the best people in the medium. Like it's just, some of that stuff is absolute. <laughs> ironically god tier stuff <laughs> um but yeah for the opening opening stuff we should pivot into um some positives some negative stuff will probably come back through but we should talk about side content because they really make a point of fleshing out the realms and um, which was a whole thing in the 2018 one where um Barlog said that they tried to do all nine realms in the original game and for whatever reason they had to get rid of two of them and then some of them uh, muspelheim and niflheim just kind of became like trials areas um niflheim had the the mist area weird maze-like thing yeah. that was in the original one that kind of divided people i didn't mind it whatever um but in this one they flesh 
flesh all those things out a hell of a lot more. And the opening three areas, um, if I get them in the right order, I know you start in Midgard, um, then you do Svartalheim, and then you do Vanaheim? You do um, Alfheim. Alfheim and then Vanaheim. Yeah. Um, so we'll not really class Midgard because that's the opening, like, sort of almost tutorial bit. But then the main areas that you're going into, um, which one do you want to start with? Well, let's start with... Uh, Svartalheim, yes. considering it's the first the big area one. that you go to. Yeah. Now, this area, th- this is where it was very much in the territory of this is more God of War for me, and I oh, liked that whole area. Um, however, it was so similar structurally to the first game where I was just kind of enjoying it, as I said, like an eight out of ten game. Mm. However, I do think you get to the point where it opens up and you get a bunch of different side stories, specifically surrounding Mimir and his past, yes. where it becomes way more interesting and kind of more freeform with how you um, interact with what's going on. What mm. I th- what I like about Svartalheim is that it's kind of like the entire first game in a microcosm, at yes. least when it comes to the side content. Like, you're back on the boat, you're going <laughs> from this island to this island, you're changing the landscape so you can get to higher or lower areas, you're unearthing things. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, again, that's why to me that kind of feels like an expansion almost because it's very similar in structure to the, fir- to the first game. But that's not to say what's there isn't compelling because I do that love was, yeah, the that was just that, that I, I mentioned the first impressions, which we, um, I think, well, actually, no, we haven't been able to touch on it yet. It's just that how gamified a lot of that stuff is. And to me, that really stood out where it's like, go block this geyser and, and make this one go bigger. Go like block this uh, flow of water with your ice and sort of make these things change. And having a trace on Mamiya tell you exactly what to do the second a puzzle thing starts. That stuff started to make itself known and, and great on me a little bit. Um, but it's not to say that those parts weren't satisfying. It was still very chunky and very satisfying and tactile to interact with. Um, but you were saying that you felt a lot of that stuff was in the 2018 one, whereas to me that felt like a more meaningful distinction. This one felt more gamey than 2018 did. Yeah, I think that might be our biggest disagreement, mm. funnily enough, because I remember when we did the first impressions and you were talking about that, and I kind of sighed a little bit because while <laughs> I loved God of War 2018, some of like the loot-based exploration and reward system I didn't necessarily love because no. in a lot of ways it was just making the numbers go up. However, I actually thought in the early hours of this game they'd paired a lot of that back right? Uh, because I didn't get a heavy runic attack for about 10 hours in no, the game. Same, yeah. I'm not complaining about that and I felt like I wasn't getting as much armor as I was in the first game. Mm. And again, I'm not complaining about that. And all of the stuff <laughs> you mentioned there, like the different puzzles uh, and whatnot, um, to me, that was all present in the 2018 game. Well, so I'm only referring to uh, roadblock puzzles. The the armor, the loot, that stuff is like a whole separate thing. If I'm right. talking about like gamifying progression, it's like and now the um, the spinning wheel that's blocking the water needs to be moved. So we need to go and do this three-step process to move this wheel. Those are the specific things that I refer to when I'm saying like something is gamified. That's what I felt was like, we're going to roadblock you right now. We're going to have a video game moment for a bit. Right. Um, but I mean, it's true that all the loot system stuff, the armor system, like um, that all folds in as well. But even those parts, I think, are so so much more shiny and right in your face. And I look at the look at the, this really overblown glowing chest that is like, oh my God, look at this loot, guys. Um, and then different colored loot and stuff like that. I think that is as forgettable in Ragnarok as it was in 2018. Oh, see. Which is why I thought it was funny when we started the part and you were like, I'm looking forward to specking a specific armor part. And I was like, I haven't even had that thought in, this, in, relation, in relation to this game. This is it, right? Because in the first few hours when I was doing all of this loot stuff, I was thinking I've done this before and I didn't find it particularly compelling back mm. then. Now that armor run is unbelievably satisfying <laughs> because I don't know what happened. Maybe it is when you get more abilities and more um, options within combat and exploration, but suddenly it clicked for me right. and like the the loot-based system, the reward system that's in the game had me checking every part of every open world-ish area right. that I came across. And 
I love that now. Like, I spent eight hours the other day just doing side missions and combat trials, mm. and I loved every second of it because the numbers <laughs> were going up, Scott, and this time oh, around, no. I was loving the numbers going up. Oh, it felt satisfying because the death of all gaming. a lot of them were tied to stories that I found interesting, the landscapes yes. I found more interesting than navigating the boat around places, which is still a lot of fun, but like I said, that felt like 2018 and the way you were interacting with the world. Other areas are a little bit different mm. um, in that regard, and a bit more of Varied. And once you know that the game is going to be more varied, I think it makes me look back on that Svartalheim mm. section as uh, more enjoyable than it was because when I was playing it for the first time, I was thinking, ooh, is this all the game is going to be? Mm. Am I going to be getting a bunch of different boat areas like this like I was back then? Mm. And while there are boat areas in there, there's way more variety. There's way more diversity in the content. Um, and yeah, and suddenly it, it clicked for me on, on that level. So I'm there for the story, but now I'm there for just exploring and leveling up my gear well, the thing and is, having a good time. Yeah, speaking of exploration, they make a point of going like, oh, you guys like that whole idea of like a, a spoked wheel layout in the 2018 one of like something in the middle and then you have a bunch of different things around the outside. And um, you kind of get that as well in uh, Alfheim. It's kind of in Vanaheim, um, but it's more like corridored off to get to specific places. Whereas Alfheim is like, here's a dog sled yeah. and uh, there's a bunch of different dragger holes that you can go plug up. There's two giant jellyfish. We've we've spoke about this for like four days, and we've never said their names right. I'm gonna no. go with Half Halfluga. I'm gonna uh, Halfluga. Halfluga, but Half I mean, that doesn't sound right either. The Half Boys. There's two of them, and um, yeah, that's one of the most meaningful and worthwhile quests to do. Um, that I think has a really nice little payoff as well. Um, when you go there with the trays, and I think that stuff like that, it's just like I said, it's that mentality. I remember in 2018 when the the water was lower to a certain degree, and it was like, okay, you've just freed up like I don't know five places you can go to. And I remember that feeling being so cool because God of War had never done that before. Yeah. And it was kind of like in Uncharted Lost Legacy when they had that um, that wide linear level where it's like you can go collect all the different statues or you can climb the tower in the middle. And it's like, I feel like the evolution of open world, uh, open, the open world genre is like the evolution of the stealth genre where those mechanics are just in other things now. And it's like an open world mechanic, it's almost like a mechanic now. You get a wide linear bit uh, in amongst other things. And so I feel like um, those realms are really, really well done. Like I said, like Balog wanted to explore more realms overall back in the day. And now they do that. Like, I remember yep. at the beginning, it feels like, oh, this is just another corridor, but they flesh out so much more. I think that is perfectly encapsulated within Alfheim itself, yes. because when you go um, to that realm for the first time in this game, you are literally going to areas that you went to in the first game. Mm. And yes, things have changed within the world. Uh, you know, like now it's way more um, veering towards the light elf side of things, yes. and that's reflected in the architecture. But I couldn't escape the feeling that I was just kind of retracing my steps from the first game, and I didn't know how intentional that was. But then when you get to the end of that realm, an entire wall breaks up, and suddenly you have an <laughs> open world-ish area to explore. With a dragon! With a, yeah, and I thought, with a, with a dragon locked behind a, a dragon. bloody locked door, and I thought, that's the sequel there. I've right. done the stuff from the first game. We're doing that again, but now, literally, we're breaking a wall down. Here's <laughs> a whole new area with a bunch of new side quests that are exclusive to this mm. game that are interesting to do with a trace, uh, that, that comments on their relationship, and that gets you gear. And it weaved everything in. It weaved narrative, it weaved gameplay, and it weaved uh, like the loot system mm. um, together in a way that 
that's when the game started properly clicking. And I think it's telling that that's just before um, you take control of a trace for the first time, I think. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. That's, like, that's beautifully put. I like the idea of, like, the breaking down the wall and finding the thing behind it, the expansion, like, but, like, in a genuine sense of, like, what came before. Um, yeah, because story-wise, like, at that point, it was like, well, you can just spend time with the trace. Like, you can just go and do all these different things. Um, and Mamiya even points that out, like, which, like, not to be negative, but, like, it's one of those things where Mamiya keeps telling you the thing that's obvious. Like, in Alfine, where he's like, he just wants to spend more time with you, lad. And I'm like, shut up, man. I, I understand. Every time I thought I had gotten to the game that Scott Tilford loved so much, I would come <laughs> into work and say, Scott, I loved this moment last night. And you would say, verbatim, I think I hated that. Yeah. And that was one of those moments when you're in Alfheim and you're in... Atreus is really suspicious of Kratos and why he's helping him, helping him free this animal. But yeah, and he yeah. keeps saying, you know, over and over again, he's like, like, well, like, why, like, what's your motive? Why guy? do you care about? Why this? Why do you yeah. care? Like, this seems out of character for you, yeah. my father. And even after you free him, he asks him one more time, yeah. and he says, like, come on, Dad, like, what was the real reason? You must have had something here you wanted. Was there some loot that you were interested in? Is there an ulterior motive, a lesson? Mm-hmm. And then Mamiya says, he just wants to spend time with your lad. In the delivery of, he just wants to spend time with your lad in that kind of exasperated way. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, It's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. This podcast is brought to you by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it just makes hiring all in one place so easy because you just get unparalleled access to job seekers. Plus, listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash WCG. Just go to Indeed.com slash WCG right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash WCG. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Man, that was like one of the most emotionally impactful things in the game so far in another reason why I started to properly love it. So then to come in the next day and be like, Scott... (laughs) I've got this line that I loved, and you literally said, "I know the line you mean." And yeah, I think as you started to describe yeah. it, yeah, because it's it's too on the nose. Like you've got, like I said, you've got this. I one, I don't. Well, 
it, in that scene, you're hanging a lot on Kratos's reply, and I'm there for Kratos's thoughts on that scenario. His own son is asking, why do you care more than you did before? Even though I would say that he's very much showed emotional vulnerability at the end of 2018's game, so there's no real reason why Atreus was wondering why Kratos cares when he went through all that stuff in the last game and took him up the mountain to scatter the ashes. So already I was like, this is a bit... I didn't like how on the nose that was. But then still, I'm more interested in Kratos's response to everything, so to have that taken away, and then Mimir just spell out the obvious thing, I didn't like that at all. I think, and again, not to spoil anything where the game goes, mm. but although, I can come back to the idea that although they are at a better place at the end of 2018, they're still not like a proper cuddly father and no. son relationship. Like, th- they understand there is a respect and understanding and love between them, yeah. but that's not necessarily expressed, even at the end of 2018's game. Mm. Like, it's not, he doesn't like, you know, suddenly become incredibly vulnerable. So no. I like that they're still learning how to express their feelings. And in that moment, I actually personally love that Kratos isn't the one to say it. I right, like that someone right. else has to say it on his behalf because he's he's there to express it through his actions, but he might not be there to express it through his words yet. And that's what really resonated with me. I don't know. I think there's, I cut this game a lot of slack mm-hmm. in a way that I think you might not because you told me that when you got that line, you felt like you as the audience were being over-explained yes. to and that stuff works for me because I keep coming back to the fact that Atreus is still a kid and he needs this stuff explained to him. Anecdotally, I just keep coming back to my own relationship with my father. And right. it's like, I still, to this day, at the old age of 27, <laughs> nearly 28, need verbal affirmations. Like if my dad or anyone that I know does something and shows me something with their actions like Kratos would do here by mm-hmm. just spending time with me, I would need that confirmed. I would maybe be suspicious. I might not know what you're showing um, if you're not telling me it. And I think that kind of like connection needs to be verbalized in a Mm. way because I think a lot of us, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, Mm. you might do things for other people that you think shows how much you care. But just because you think it, the consequence... This goes back to something in a sec. Yeah. Just because you think it, just because that's the intent, doesn't necessarily mean that's conveyed and someone might not appreciate the gravity of what you're doing. True. And I, and I like that there. And it also goes back, sorry to keep rambling, Do it. to a theme that absolutely permeates the early game and even later game. And it's the idea of intent versus consequence. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about that. Like, oftentimes it doesn't matter about the intent if the consequence is a certain thing. If the consequence is bad, does it really matter about intent because you're still going to have to deal with that consequence and you're going to have to clean it up. You're going to have to make amends. So like I like with the, with the uh, Aesir, like totally. backing one side in the war and then it all kicking off anyway. 100%. Like their intent was good. Their intentions were noble, but they come back to that realm and they realize, oh, did we just make things worse? I thought and that uh, was really on the nose as well. Well, there Carry we go. On. But it, it worked thematically for me yes. and it kind of that idea permeated throughout these conversations like that, you know, Kratos's intent is to spend ti- spend time with his kid yeah. and to show his emotions through actions. But the consequence is Atreus doesn't know that and he's suspicious <laughs> and needs it spelt out to him. And I just thought that was a... A nice little microcosm. I think it's. I think I'm glad that it worked for you in that way. I think if you, one of the best things about this game is how it does make you think about your own relationship with a father, or if you are a father, thinking about your relationship with your kids. I think the the conversations that come out of just seeing a depiction of fatherhood or a depiction of parenthood, I think they can be massively positive. And I think, like I said, the conversations that come out of them in any direction are worthwhile for the most part. Um. So yeah, I think that side of it's great. It was just that for me. I mean, Mamiya is infuriating in this game for me. Like I, I I'm so negative on this opening bit. 
I promise as we go forward, <laughs> I'll pivot. Um, but if we're only talking about the intro a bit, my mindset for most of this opening was I, I'm not enjoying this and I right. really don't like a lot of the decisions that they make. Um, design-wise, like design-wise, Mamiya comments on everything way too much, whether that's just like you try and pick up a bit of an item. He's like, you're picking up everything, aren't you? And I'm just like, yes, I am, Mamiya. I've been doing this for years, mate. We did this back in 2018 um, and for the three years in between. So I don't know why you're mentioning it now. Um, but yeah, so like that, him spelling out, the, starting to spell out the story, not just comment on every last thing or cut off worthwhile dialogue between Kratos and Atreus by just sort of like, calm down, brothers. Oh, stop talking. I'm like, shut up, granddad. We're trying <laughs> to have an actual conversation here. Um, so I was already a bit fed up with him anyway. And I really liked the character, which is why I was annoyed that he got in the way so much here. Um, so for him to then start spelling out the story parts, I was like, oh my God, is this is this the level of audience you think you're addressing where people need to have stuff spelled out? Is that not one of the accessibility options or something? Or one of the options in the game that I can just turn a slider down? Less Mamiya, please, because there's way too much of him. I am conflicted on this because <laughs> yes, I am so sick of both Atreus and Mamiya telling me the solutions to puzzles yep. after two seconds or telling me when I've opened a door, maybe we should go through that door. Maybe that's where we need to go. <laughs> I know it is because there's no other path. Do you want to spend more time exploring the realm before you go back to the main quest? There's no other path. If that helps people, that's really good. Uh, but I would like the option to, with those hints, maybe turn off some dialogue or turn it down or whatever because it does get in the way at times. But yes. just move, super quick, right? if they gave you a Kratos button because he has deadpan responses to everything where he just goes, no. If, yeah. if you just had a button where you could just cut people off and go, I know, or whatever, that would be incredible. That would be pretty good. Yeah, I would take that. Do that in God of War 3. Mamiya as a concept, though. Mm. I love in this game, Scott Tailford. Same. I thought 2018's... Game was elevated massively when you get Mamiya and he starts telling you these stories. And most importantly, I love the development at the start of this game that Mamiya is kind of just family now. Or yeah, at least he is yeah. in this moment in time, you know. He's a brother. He's a brother. He carries him around. Uh, Kratos carries him around everywhere. And he even is his confidant. Like yeah. when he wants to parent or discuss how is the best way to parent Atreus. He talks to Mamiya in confidence. They have chats. If you read the um, journal entry on him, he, like, he talks about how he finds his company, you know, adequate. And he's, that's pretty good for Kratos. He, he considers him a genuine friend. And I think um, where we pick up with Kratos at the start of this game is great because of that, because he's come such a long way mm. since the god even in 2018 who, you know, wouldn't talk to Freya as soon as he found out that she was a god. Mm -hmm. Now he's someone who can interact with these people on a civil level, even mm. find friendship, even find adopted family with Mamiya. So while he is a wind-up merchant and while he is <laughs> a absolute big mouth, yes. I think he's earned the right to be a big mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's fair. I just, yeah, I like all the character development. I like Mamiya in theory. It's, it's just a design thing. I feel like somewhere along the way, they had to crank up a bunch of sliders for a hashtag mass audience. And those are the things that I bounce off, whether that's really obvious puzzle solutions, whether that's really glowy loot chests, whatever it is, like really um, obvious deflection markers, UI elements when something's coming at you. It's like, this is the bright blue one. This is the bright yellow one or the bright red one. Um, and again, you can turn those things off, but I, I'm not going to, I'm never going to do that. I'm going to experience the game that you've designed, whatever your like through line approach is. I'll take that in as the consumer, as the player. Um, and so stuff like that kind of stands out. But yeah, in regards to the um, the overall, few, the first few hours, it is kind of like finding its footing and they're finding their place in the prophecy and what happens, what does it even mean? Like only really Atreus has seen the floating version of the upcoming Ragnarok prophecy and trying to make sense of that. Um, we should we didn't talk about Vanaheim very much. We'd uh, dive into a bit of Vanaheim. Yes, Vanaheim is 
um, one of the realms that like really kind of blew me away, like mm. visually yeah, and visually. structurally. I think that whole area is great and full of so many secrets. Like I, I haven't got to all of the um, realms mm-hmm. yet, or at least been able to explore all the realms in a freeform way. But Vanaheim keeps on giving to mm. keep it vague. Like there is so much within there uh, that reveals itself. Um, Did you get from the orb? A, from a side content place, I did get the orb. I did I got not get all the orb. Of Lunda's um, armor pieces mm. as well. I, I rinsed that place to death. <laughs> um, and I just thought that was another moment where I thought, like, this is the sequel. This is the sequel that I've been mm. waiting for um, because it just gave me something new. Mm. And I love the concept of those wolves chasing around the sun and the moon to turn things light and dark. I did too, but I thought it was weird the way they brought them in. Interesting. Because Tell me you more. emerge out of a um, like a cliff face and you just see it happening in the sky. Yeah. And no one says anything. <laughs> and I was like, the whole sky just changed, guys. Are we not going to... No? Just, well, okay. I like the idea that that just happens every day. That's just, how just night a normal becomes occurrence. dark. Yeah. yeah. Well, this, is, this is just Vanaheim. But this is just this, what happens. True, but in this context, they know that that heralds the beginning of Ragnarok. So are they not like looking at that going, oh my God, we're too late. And the sky's falling. They don't. Unless no, I'm they getting, don't. No, unless I'm getting my law wrong. Uh-huh. It's not just them chasing the things around. I thought it was specifically one of them chasing an arrow to the moon. It, it is, but yes. like that's such a similar visual that I it thought is. they would say something. I think <laughs> I think as you come up with that bit, one of the emperors, someone says, like, oh, look at the, look at the sky. And it's, but there's nothing on Kratos's part or anyone just going like, well, that's where... I don't want Kratos to be like flippant, but just, just anything. I just thought it was a weird beat. Um, but yeah, I like that you can change the time of day. Like, yeah. look visually, it looks incredible. The yes. whole like tear through the sky thing. Um, but yeah, I feel like uh, the... Oh, go carry on. No, 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 you carry on. Please. No, no, it was just that idea of you think you're going into the realms thinking it's going to be a repeat of the 2018 one where it looks like a corridor yeah. where each realm in the 2018 one was just a kind of a set map. But then you can... I, you, one thing that kind of gives it away is if you zoom out, you'll realize how much you can zoom out and just how much is hidden in like the fog of war or whatever. Um, and then it slowly flashes things out. But even stuff like banking left when you first get there and doing the, the orb quest or whatever, rather than going forward and doing everything else, um, that's a, like an indicator of just how much more is in each realm. Yeah, 100%. And like I say, you know, all of that stuff, I can just get lost in because mm. I find the ensemble of characters that are either returning or I introduce in this game really interesting. And I want to do their personal missions and see what they have to offer. Mm. And I liked that, you know, a lot of the areas that you're exploring are compact enough that you can almost do everything in a couple of hours, but have it feel satisfying. Yeah. In the previous game, and this one still has this to an extent, sometimes you would find side missions that you can't complete for hours because you need something in particular. But for the most part, in this game, if you go to an area and say you find the corpse of someone Mm. and their ghost is speaking to you, you can (laughs) find all of the stuff you need for that quest within that area, which means you complete it and then move on to the next thing. And there's enough in this game that the next thing is always just as interesting. Yeah. Uh, So I like that you had a sort of... They got the gameplay loop right where I was finishing off quests, feeling tangibly stronger, and moving on to another just as interesting quest, mm. if that makes sense. The thing is, with some of the exploration stuff, like there's something you get later in the game that they, like it's like Metroid, like they'll show, it, you can very much tell, like, oh, I don't have the item for that yet, yep. or whatever. And there's bits of that that sort of like will, will slowly push you back towards the main path if you go, if you try and explore a bit too far um, earlier in the game. But I like that feeling. Like I, I always love Metroidvania. So it's like threading that into other genres, um, little, little sprinklings of Metroidvania stuff, like in Arkham Asylum or, or like in this, uh, realizing that you have, you kind of mentally bank, like, okay, I'll come back here later and, and it works out and you 
you find something better later. Um, we didn't talk that much about, um, or I didn't ask you what you thought of the Ironwood stuff and Agroboda in general and just the Atreus stuff. We can get back to realm things, but I never actually uh, rounded that off before. Yeah, let's talk Too about Too busy that. complaining on this side of the table. <laughs> Too busy being a big negative. Because, like I said, I love all of the times you switch to Atreus in this game. Mm-hmm. And the Ironwood stuff in particular was another moment where I was just thinking, you have so many cards to play. Right. And I am loving them all, Scott, <laughs> because that was another Is this inscription? Because I'm loving all these Very cards. Very good. Thank that you. was another realm that obviously we hadn't been to, but looked gorgeous and offered me a game that I could not get the first time around. And that mm. is exploring who Atreus is and who he wants to be and what does he get up to away from Kratos? Who does he make friends with? How does he operate? So for me, that entire Ironwood section, while paced a little weirdly, <laughs> kept giving me missions that I really enjoyed. And before you say I'm mad, the fight... <laughs> With the giant granny was unbelievably good. And when you messaged me saying that you'd seen people disparaging it Yeah, someone brought it up in a viral viral tweet. And I realized that I'd blanked that from my mind because it was so bad to me. I know I keep saying it. Yeah. Another one of the moments where I was like, I love this game. And I'll (gasps) tell you why. The granny fight. Yeah. Also just weaved in everything that I love. Weaved in the loot, weaved in the narrative, weaved in this new sense of exploration, this brand new world. I just thought the idea of you being Kratos, big muscly Kratos, (laughs) being put in an environment where you're literally facing off against what appears to be like a fairy tale style giant. Right. You're in this kind of like- It was like like a Witcher boss. Totally, yeah. It was very much like a Witcher boss. You're in this like twisted Hansel and Gretel style environment where you're- Felt like a different game. It did, but I loved that, man. Like, Mm. I, I, I keep going back to like those opening hours, but- because I was so a little bit let down by the fact that I was in Midgard again. Mm. I was on a boat again. I was in Alfheim again in the same area as I was before. The fact that they threw me something so new with this area in the fact that it was so different to what the game had offered me before, I couldn't help but love it, especially because mm. I thought it was well executed. If it was badly executed, I'd have said no, but I thought it was difference with a point in difference which offered a Lots of variety to the game. I am very curious what people think of that section overall. The more people get to it, the more people yeah. play through it. Because, um, yeah, I can't lie. I, I didn't like... I just didn't... I, I didn't want to save this for a wider conversation. Can like, I just make a clarification? You can. I said you were big Kratos fighting the granny. You're not. You're a trace, of course. But oh, still, I took that to mean like yeah. it could have been Kratos. Because in the world, yes. like what if Kratos came across? Like It means the giants exist at That's that size. Yeah. I uh, I took that to be what, what you kind of meant. I appreciate um, it. But yeah, that whole thing with um, Atreus, like I said, I didn't want to play as him in that moment. I was like, oh my God, it's another bow combat thing. It's just PlayStation 101. Um, I thought his dialogue became very MCU-like where he's just kind of quipping to himself and, and talking to himself and worrying about everything. I didn't like Arugaboda's introduction. I was just like, oh my God, it's another MCU character. I don't like this. And then having a fairy tale boss fight uh, and then picking all the flowers and doing all the, the things and all the little mini quests that you had to do in uh, Ironwood and then having that boss fight. And I was like, can I just get out of this whole to me, generic section. I just Oof. didn't like any of that stuff. And so when they were like, you're tiny and it's a giant boss. And I was like, I did this in It Takes Two. I did this in Brothers A Tale of Two Sons. I have done these fights before. Right. And um, where I'm tiny and I've got to like, you know, hit the ankles to make them stumble. It's like, we've, we've done this giant fight 10 times before. Maybe that's it, right? Because I haven't, I right. haven't really done those fights. I don't, I don't think I got to that point in It Takes Two in right. Brothers A Tale of Two Sons. Spoilers, I gave up on after level one. I just never <laughs> what, finished that game. What? That's a different podcast topic. But oh I my never, God. never did it. Never did it. Me and my girlfriend tried to play it twice. Uh-huh. Twice. 
Never, never got past you that never opening section. Two songs. Nah, nah, man, not for oh, me. Oh, but it's really good. Yeah, but now I've got God of War Ragnarok. You don't need that. Same boss fights, so well, it's, yeah, you're it's just as good. It's true. Yeah, so for me, I'm also actually I'm clarification on myself. I think I'm misremembering it takes two. I will think of what the giant boss fight is okay. before the end of this podcast. Carry on, please do. Yeah. Uh, yeah, what I was gonna say is what I would push back on. Yes. is you calling it generic? Yes, that hurts me on the inside <laughs> because, like I said, that was one of the most imaginative parts of the game so far. Interesting. Maybe not in terms of you know what they were literally pulling from, but in terms of what I have seen within this series mm. and within these two games specifically, felt so new and fresh. And I just loved the visuals of the environment and I loved the visuals of the combat as well with mm. her using paint in the actual fighting, which added literally splashes of color to the enemies and the environment. And I thought that looked really sick. And like I said, something that I hadn't seen before. Mm. And yes, there are maybe pacing issues within there because it does go on when it feels like it's wrapping up Mm. and it keeps introducing brand new big threads that you need to pursue. But it all genuinely, for me, came together in that granny fight and especially the moment (laughs) where she's yelling at her granddaughter and, you know, uh, she's walking away in the camera teary-eyed and, you know, she's yelling at her saying, like, oh, don't come back because I'll bloody kill you or whatever she says. (laughs) It was emotionally resonant and added to the themes of the game of, like, especially kids like Atreus trying to figure out, uh, you know, their place within the world, their place within their families and who they want to be and kind of dealing with not the trauma, but I guess in her case, it was specifically trauma of how they have been raised and yeah. the family dynamics they come from. And I mm. thought that was just, it was very good. It definitely ties in very well. That whole thing of sort of generational anger is something that it like permeates the entire game. Like not to talk about what comes later, but I, yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff that they dive into with that. But speaking of generational anger or character development, I think the best character writing is in the side quests overall. Like you do get incredible moments down the main path, but the kind of conversations that I just want to sit and listen to uh, happen in the side quests because <laughs> Mamiya doesn't interrupt anyone. He just lets them talk. Um, and you get Kratos talking about his past. You get him talking about his different customs that he had when he was in Greece um, or like his history as a Spartan and things like that and like I just don't want to, want to shout that stuff out like we mentioned the realms a little bit but the idea that they wrote even um plot like answers to certain plot points mm. that are major plot things from uh, 2018 I'm not say what they are are inside uh, conversations here that you may or may not trigger um, to the point where I hit credits and still didn't know something. Right. And then I, I've recently been Googling because more people are playing it going, like, oh, actually, that's I randomly got an answer to that. And then that's kind of fascinating. I don't know what I, I don't really like that because I think it'd be better if it was signposted. But in terms of uh, character depth, I think if you spend, if you literally make a point of spending time with someone, it's uh, it's worthwhile. It's ironic that yes. you can't please old Scott Tilford. No. If the signposted too much, you complain that uh, <laughs> they've been too on the nose. If they don't tell you where it is, it's like, well, I missed it. It's the last Jedi all over again. <laughs> just, you, you just can't get it right. I would fully agree with you there, though. Um, I like Look, I'm, I've been comparing this game a lot to 2018s because mm. of course I have. So I will say right now that I really, really enjoyed 2018s, loved it in parts. But to me, personally, and yes. I get a lot of hair for this, it's not like top, top games of all time for me. For 2018 reason. isn't? Yeah, it's not. It didn't resonate in that way. I think it's really good, but this is resonating more. And while I love the boat rides in 2018's mm. game, um, you know, in terms of how it gave you exposition about the world in a really interesting way, it fleshed out characters who don't appear like Thorn Odin mm-hmm. in a really um, unique way by getting these stories and these tales relayed to you. Mm-hmm. What I like about this game is that you pretty much know everything because you were told right. it in the first game, and now you just get those conversations in the boat or on whatever vehicle you're on. 
and it relates to the characters who are in that vehicle, and you mm. get to talk about, like you said, Kratos' time in Greece and about their relationship and what their favorite food is, and um, <laughs> what Kratos' favorite weapon is. What Kratos' favorite weapon is, and it might sound like nowhere near as weighty as the stuff that came before, came before, <laughs> came before. Uh, um, but to me, it's it's weightier from a character perspective because I want them to have that kind of small talk because mm. it bolsters their relationship in my eyes and gives no, you totally. a deeper insight into who they are as people. Well, yeah, exactly, which is why I get annoyed at Mamiya breaking that stuff up in the main. But like, I love that stuff in the side content. It's an interesting thing because I didn't think about it that much. If, I don't really think of God of War 2018 as a fish out of water story, even though it is. Like, obviously, you've got Kratos from um, Greece coming across Greek history or whatever, Greek mythology, and then being thrown into Norse mythology and the crossover. Because we've not even talked about it here, but the fact that he's the God of War of Norse mythology. Yeah. Um, and the, the kind of, they don't do that much with him in the opening bits anyway. Like, the conversations of, like, we just saved you, and we, he was wielding the Blades of Chaos for a little bit, but we don't really talk about their approaches to war. I thought they would do way more with that, especially because they have that whole thing with him, you know, don't yeah. act like a general, act like a father, and I thought they would do more with that, but they do not. I'm dipping my toes in here because I don't okay. want you to accidentally tell me anything right. <laughs> because I haven't seen the full story, but mm-hmm. what I like with Tia is that I think he is purposefully disappointing. I think they <laughs> subverse, subvert a lot in this game um, in terms of what you expect, maybe because of the stories that you were told in the first game, mm. in the reality of them, like the nitty gritty reality of them. So when you free Tia and you've heard all these stories about him uniting the realms, you know, being this fierce warrior, mm. and you get him, and he's a he's a broken dude. I in love that he's, pass- he's just a pacifist. Yeah, yeah, he was gone full pacifist. Who isn't who Atreus imagined him as being? Like I I like that beat because I feel like they do it all the way through, even in small um, situations without spoiling anything, you know, if if you talk about a place in either this game or the other game mm. and then you finally see it and it's sometimes intentionally disappointing because it's it doesn't live up to the tales that have been established. Right. And it's like this is the reality of them. And I and I I like that idea mm. and I like that it kind of fits with Kratos's character as well because he's this god of war. Mm. He's viewed in all of these stories as someone who, you know, brings death and destruction and is capable of all these things. Mm. And that was true for three full games and a bunch of spin-offs, mm. but now he's someone else as well. You know what I mean? If if someone who knew about Kratos from before met him like where meat and Tia, I'm sure they would have the same sense of disappointment well, I, almost. Yeah, I mean, I like what they bring to the table with Tia. I like the idea that he represents, you know, Kratos not engaging with anything, just sort of saying, look, just lay the blades down and refuse to ever pick them up again. And what does that feel like, to, that agency in those group dynamics? I think that's what I love that Tia brings to the table. I quite like that they're subversive in the marketing. Um, I feel like subversion is just across the board these days. It's like you advertise one thing, you do something completely different. Maybe that's because I mentioned Last Jedi before, but <laughs> I think uh, in regards to Tia, I like the conversations um, that, you know, like in theory, there's conversations that you can have more with him, um, but that what he represents, I think, is uh, is essential because it's a side of Kratos that I think he keeps entertaining of uh, of just saying, "What if I just didn't engage with this at all? What if I yeah. didn't um, even think about the Ragnarok prophecy and just sat down with Atreus and ate some food and didn't do anything?" It's like there's a whole potential version of this um, of his story that just is like that. Um, but yes, we're going to wrap this because clearly there's a lot to talk about, and we've only talked about the first five hours. It's nuts, man! Like when we were trying to plan this podcast. There was just so much we could have talked about. And like, I, what blows my mind? Go on. There's so much I could talk about right now. Uh-huh. I've not even finished the game. No. I've played 36 hours. And I've got, s- there's so many story beats we haven't mentioned. Yeah. And then so many story beats to come. Yeah, you've got like, no. like, I don't want necessarily <laughs> for listeners of this podcast yeah. to be subjected to God of War chat for the rest of the year. No. But it is a game that is big enough 
that we could talk about it till the rest <laughs> of the year is over. We probably. might see about doing some bonus podcasts in between the main three. Great idea. Maybe something like that. Let's do that. Because me and you will have a lot to say. Yeah. Um, and we can, you guys can all go on the journey with us because this has been the first sort of five hours. This oh. is from the beginning of the game to the Ironwood Watt. Let's, when we're done, when we're yes. done, let's get some pints. Okay. Let's not tell our bosses we're coming here after hours. Let's crack a few tinnies open and okay. let's like do a big bonus. We should clearly get mead. War one. Get some get some mead. I don't know if I like mead. I love mead. I drink some wine. They you drink get some wine. Wine, wine. Mead is just wine that's old. You know what I always wanted to drink? Yes. Wine from a like wood bottle. You know how like they drink them in tankards here, okay. like like kind of like mead and <laughs> a wood whatnot. bottle, <laughs> a wood cup. I would I should thing. say, uh-huh. just like a wooden thing. Right. I'm right, like right. that is either going to taste disgusting because it's going to make the wine taste like like damp yeah, wood. I don't know if that would be good. I know, but it, I feel like it might. You can be treat now. the middle of it so it gets all like shiny and and preserves the flavors or enhances the flavors. Yeah. Either way, we'll figure it out. That's I like it. the idea because God of War Ragnarok is like the biggest release in quite some time. Obviously, there's Elden Ring, but in terms of a story, when was the last time we had a next like installment of it? Probably earlier this year with Horizon Forbidden West. But <laughs> this feels like a much bigger deal, and I feel like the story of this game is being discussed a lot more than Forbidden West's story was. This is kind of a strange one, right? Mm. Because yes, I agree. Like if we did some videos and some podcasts on Forbidden West, but I'm not thinking about that. No. And I really like that game you know four out of ah, five it was it was really good it's fine uh, but this one there have been times where i've been playing it where i've almost been damning elden ring for existing because okay. any other year for me god of war ragnarok is an easy number one yes. spot for game of the year like it does its highs are incredibly high mm-hmm. uh but unfortunately elden ring is there and if <laughs> i was sony santa monica i'd be thinking god damn it why I, did a game of the generation have to come out the same year we released a game of the generation if i was sony overall elden ring has taken out horizon <laughs> and god of war that's the worst uh yeah to possibly release both your games <laughs> so true and um, but yeah we'll figure out some sort of podcast schedule get in touch with us on social media let us know what you think uh, in regards to god of war's first five hours and what you'd like us to how you'd like us to cover stuff going forward because we'll, we'll at least do one giant spoiler conversation and um, that we'll film and put on youtube and then we might do some additional podcast stuff as well. For now, this has been the wind-up. I've been Scott Tilford. You've been Josh Brown. Always a pleasure, Scott. Always a pleasure to be heard by all of you. Didn't do the intro till the end, but we'll catch you next week. Bye. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.